Do you think we should have a music in our intro? Uh, my wife told me we should. Okay. Well, she we said don't. intro and outro. We don't have music yet. Uh, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to the We Are Driven podcast, where we discuss the pursuit of excellence in business, fitness, and cars. My name is Arun Kumar. I'm the driver, and today I'm here with my co-host, Dan LaRue. How are you, Dan? Good. Good morning, everyone. Uh, this is episode 22, and we're talking today about the realities of starting a business from me, who's kind of done it a few times, but we're specifically going to talk about one of them that's actually worked for me. We'll talk later about some of the failed business ventures along the way. Just a reminder, before we get started, if you like what you hear here, share the podcast, share it with a gym buddy, share it with a business colleague, share it with a co-founder, share it with a car club, share it with your sales teams for motivation, sales, share it with everybody that you think could benefit from what we're doing here. And on top of that, leave us a review. We'd love to get some feedback. We've gotten a few reviews already. I'm happy to see they're in the higher star rating. So thank you very much for that. That's how we're going to continue to grow. We're, we're nowhere near getting you know suggested by the algorithm, but all of the word of mouth that you guys are able to provide us goes a very long way in continuing to spread the driven mindset. So uh, just before we get into the business, Dan, what kind of music should we put in the intro? I don't know if you want to ask me that. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, rock and roll, anything with a guitar in it, you know, uh, that's what I would go with. Breaking Benjamin. Well, the thing is, is that we would have to have, it can't be, unless you're going to pay for it, it can't be licensed music. So you have to, would have to find something that would be free licensed of some sort of which there's tons of those out there. Yeah, I'm not too worried about that, to be honest. Breaking Benjamin equivalent. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> All right. I'd, yeah, the other problem will be how do we get that in? Oh, I think actually there might be a way. There's a button at the top here. I don't know how to do it yet. We'll figure that out maybe for the we'll, next Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. I'm sure there's a way. I'm going to take a note on that intro, outro music. So, um, as you can see by the title of this podcast, we're talking about the realities of starting a business. Now, the important piece of the story that I really want to share here is there are realities that nobody told me about when I started. And that's despite the fact that there is a ton of entrepreneurial podcasts and books and advice and YouTube videos and speakers And part of the reason that we're doing this at the stage that we are, I don't think either Dan or myself has a huge amount of clout to our success right now. No, not really. But I would say both of us have faith that we can do it and earn the respect and eyeballs of people that that want to hear what what we have to say eventually. But part of the reason for starting it now is that despite the fact that, you know, we're not, our, our resumes don't command immediate attention, this is the reality of how you get there. 
we're capturing that along the way. And I think that that is an extremely, extremely valuable piece of it because as you get more successful, you tend to forget some of the things that happened along the way. And you, you have these little, very memorable experiences, but a lot of things will just kind of wash out into, you know, fuzzy details from distant history. And I want to capture some of that information before it departs from my brain. And as I start facing bigger and bigger problems and victories along the way, let's make sure that we know where it starts and what that first year entrepreneur is feeling because it's, it's something that I don't want anybody to think, you know, because I feel this way, because I think this way, I'm not going to be successful. Um, so there's three, there's three stories that I want to tell, um, that translate into more general realities of starting a business. So uh, let me, let me just give some context. We're talking today about driven performance advisors. That is my consulting firm essentially. And the, the premise and the work behind driven performance advisors started in 2018. I started doing free financial and strategic consulting work to startups locally to me that were focused on the automotive enthusiast community. There was a social media app. There was a uh, checkout financing company, kind of like Klarna equivalent. Um, There was an EV racing series and all of these, I did the work for free. And I basically cold called people who were doing things that interested me. And I said, hey, do you need any help in in these areas? And at the time I was working as a uh, finance consultant in the big accounting firm. And basically what that meant is that I was doing a lot of creative writing, honestly, and a lot of technical financial analysis and a lot of strategic thinking on, you know, why is this deal happening and how can we explain the financial very complicated financial elements of it to people. So I felt I was getting this really broad spectrum of skills and experiences to serve different kinds of customers with my consulting work. And so while I was working mostly with, you know, billion dollar companies, my first clients with driven performance advisors were startups. And So yeah, that first company, I was driving an hour and a half and hanging out with these guys in their garage, kind of talking about how to get started and where to find the money and how to tell software developers what to do and how to market and then help them get into an incubator. And they ended up closing the business after going through the incubator. But Oh no, I was going to ask you about that if they were still around. Well, so I actually got contacted recently by a company that does very similar stuff. And these are all... And, you know, you've probably encountered these too. Car, social media apps, like car enthusiast specific social media apps. Yep. Yeah. Um, Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to look it up. It's Wheel something. I can't remember what it's called. Wheel Well. Uh, Wheel Well. Yeah, that's the one. Wheel Well Roadster without an E. (laughs) Yep. That's that's another one I've heard of. Yeah. So, and there's uh, probably another four or five that I don't know about. Um, 
I, I have not seen one succeed yet, but anyways, another one recently reached out to me looking for help getting four and a half million dollars. And I declined to help them because I have yet <laughs> to see one succeed and I didn't want to be banging my head against the wall with yet another one. Yeah. The, the problem is, is you need a very, very compelling reason for people not to use Facebook Marketplace, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook groups. And, you know, in your case, even Discord channels. You're right. Discord servers um, for for Audis. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, that one that one took me by surprise that it, it even existed. Uh, but the fact that it does is really cool. Well, and it works, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, they're first to have any news from any major uh, parts manufacturer. So, like, you'll catch it there before you will on Facebook or on their website. Right. And so that's a big deal, first of all. That kind of acts like a Reddit almost for for a specific car. Pretty much like like my tuner in there, like that's really the only channel that I look at. And the guys in there have been hounding the employees for like two weeks because they've gone radio silent. And they're like, something big's coming. There's a big <laughs> announcement coming. It's like, And then yesterday, one of them tweeted in there, or not tweeted, uh, posted in there. It said, uh, what makes you guys think something big's coming out? By the way, testing's going great. <laughs> I was like, this is why I'm in this Discord channel. That's funny. Um, but yeah, so so my thing has always been one, well, I didn't believe this when I was working with this company, obviously. Um, but but the feedback that I got was there's not a compelling of enough reason not to use Facebook Marketplace and Instagram and YouTube and Discord and forums and whatever else. You don't need a dedicated app to accomplish the same thing. Um, yeah, because didn't didn't like Wheelwell partner with like companies like Car ID, like big big name brand to sell parts through there? Yeah, I think so. It, it I vaguely remember that's how it worked. Uh, and then they had the obvious like social media piece where people would post their builds. And I don't even remember what this mod find mod find is what it was called. Vinwiki did an advertising partnership with ModFind. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that one went. Finwiki is one that's actually okay. That They've got a yeah. sort of special sauce with VIN tracking and telling the story of a car that can't really be done anywhere else. Carfax is the alternative. Right. And, and there's only so many automotive social media platforms you can have. Like it's and that you would need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- yeah. That's the other thing that you would actually need. Like, you could essentially make one website and, or one app and make it the all-around. Like, you don't need anything else to go with it, kind of right. thing. Well, okay, so that was that was how I started free consulting work, helping new companies with kind of finding their way, doing some strategic discussions and trying to help them clarify their their business model how they're going to make money helping them with financial modeling helping them with contacting the right potential investors and helping them uh, script the pitch in order to get to those potential investors appropriately and that was okay it it did a couple of things for me it it clarified that it's something that i could do you could you can just go out and ask people for if you want to help them and create a business out of that. It doesn't have to be this really major thing. 
to start a business, you can just do that. Like I didn't have a business license. I didn't have any contracts or paperwork. I just said, you know, can I help you? And they were like, yeah, sure. Can you answer these questions? Yeah. <laughs> Went from there. You know, it was my personal email address, nothing special. Um, and I was doing that part-time for free in addition to my day job. And during that time, I moved from California to London and was living in London. I'd just gotten married. I uh, my, my wife was was starting her MBA program. I had applied to the same MBA program for the following year. And it was an interesting time because I had transferred to London with the same company that I worked for in the US. And I really did not like the work I was doing in London. It felt like I had taken a step backwards, both in compensation, title, and the work responsibilities that I had. And it was culturally very different. I did not have the same trusting relationships with my bosses, and it was just not something that I wanted to do. So I was continuing to work with the uh, Tesla GT racing series company and trying to help them get funding. And they had a really kind of stacked group of people working with them, but it wouldn't it also something that unfortunately did not take off during my time there. See, like I'm so interested in that. And we were diving in a little bit before this recording about it. And there was like, stop, we got to <laughs> talk about this. So, so explain how like those races worked, what kind of Teslas they were. Cause I, I, I thought it was super interesting uh, as far as, you know, what, what that series was. So, so they started the company in 2015, I think. Okay. So and it's sort of early on in Tesla's like come to. Yeah. So I think come to market kind of I thing. I think the first model S's came out in 2012 or 20. Yeah. Somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. I remember it was like right when I was leaving Seattle after high school that the first Model S's were on the road in 2012. No, 2013 is when I graduated. So, <laughs> you see, um, like in 2013, like Tesla, where I was at, wasn't even like we no, had heard the not. name, yeah. but never <laughs> seen one. Yeah. Uh, even, even like that was in Michigan, even moving to Nebraska, it was still like mm -hmm. another five years before they're yeah. like not even surprised. really around. Yeah. So, that's when they started the company. They they took heavily modified Model S's and turned them into race cars. So they had different suspension. They had racing slicks. They were heavily lightened, heavily lightened. Um, <laughs> they, and they had, they had high performance batteries that um, pushed a lot of kilowatts. This is getting into a realm. I'm not particularly familiar yeah, we're, with. Yeah, this is uncharted territory for us gas people. <laughs> yeah, so and diesel and diesel. Um, it, it, but it basically made them really, really, really fast. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I was telling you before, two and a half seconds, zero to 60 in 2015, not like way insane. before the plan came out. It's insane. Yeah. And 150 mile an hour top speed. And so they were they were cool looking too. I mean, I always always liked how the Model S looked, it's gotten better over time, but they had made that original yeah. Model S look really cool. I, I'm sure there was like added arrow to them and stuff. It had, I'll use the word ground effects. Yeah, body yeah kit. sure. Um, yeah. Body kit and big wing and roll cage and stickers and all of it. So 
it was a cool premise. I got excited about it. I was helping them for about eight months probably and did regular meetings and tried to get funding from different country sovereign wealth funds and Mm -hmm. private equity firms, venture capital, all kinds of different targets. Because when you're in a sort of green energy realm like they were, there's a lot more opportunity for investment from sustainability partners. Yeah, especially Europe, who is very... Yeah, very totally. electric based today. Yep. Um, like we were talking about earlier, I, I'm surprised it wasn't as a big of a hit. Um, yeah. Maybe it was just too soon. Well, and I think, you know, critical feedback here. I don't think that the CEO really knew what he wanted the company to be. Mm. He was very focused on this sort of bigger, bigger thing that was that these were going to be big festivals of sustainability, not a race event and series. So like what you'd see like on Forza Horizon, the video game, this big festival thing, <laughs> like where they just I mean, race I've around and there's parties. Forza Horizon. Oh yeah. It, it's essentially, it's a arcade racing game that they, they called it a festival and it, it was essentially like a party and well, then with some I mean, racing. Yeah. So grid life. <laughs> yeah. Pretty grid but, life kind of style thing. Yeah. But like way bigger and way less focus on the cars. Ah, okay. To the point where in that part of the presentation, there were no cars. And oh. I kept saying to him, you know, Hey Mark, this seems incongruent from the first half of the PowerPoint. That's talking about how, entertainment needs to change and the sources of energy for race cars needs to change. And this is the way of the future. And this is going to be something that displaces current GT racing series and blah, blah, blah. Then it gets into, we're going to have companies showcasing their latest sustainability technology in the paddock. And that was kind of like, wait, what? That seems like way not related to the racing at all and it was definitely something that was overtaking the spectacle of the race itself <clears throat> yeah i just pulled up an article i was uh, actually reading a little bit about it and uh yeah they had some press coverage uh this was actually an article in 2021 talking about uh like 2017 area where they were doing it they that call it a failed right. racing series <laughs> yep Yep. Uh, it just says uh, racing racing in a Tesla that wasn't ready for the track. Oh, they're so, cr- being critical of the car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. This is I never the, even got the, to see one person. Yeah. Verge. But it's interesting because like you hear about Mach-E being fairly popular. I mean, maybe it's just because it's the style of racing is close to Formula One. Or not Maki, Formula E. There what we go. Ta- what, what am I talking about? about? God, I can't <laughs> speak today. Aren't you a Ford guy? <laughs> yeah, I, don't mind me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like that that's mildly popular and interesting to watch. So I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm surprised it didn't didn't take off. But maybe, yeah, maybe partly CEO problems, maybe too soon, maybe not enough money, maybe all the above. Yeah, yeah, it's never, it's never just one thing. Um, but okay, so in 2020, I was very dissatisfied with my my uh, accounting finance consulting role. I 
had already had a couple of these experiences under my belt. And furthermore, I was in London and I did not have my own garage space to work on cars. So I was hiring shops to do work on my cars. I got coilovers installed on my three liter V6 diesel A4 with 500 foot pounds of torque. That's the only good thing about it. Oh, it was a, and it was a six fun. speed. Oh, that sounds even more fun now. It was cool. And it was, I made the point of only getting non USDM cars when I lived in London, but so that was one. You can't get that here. Nope. But it was also barely a car by the time I bought it. And it, it, the dealership that sold it to me had some inspector out there, have it pass their annual inspection thing without actually looking at it. And it was rusted through on the bottom. Oh, um, so I owned it only for about four months. I put almost 10,000 miles on it. I want to say five, 10,000 miles on it and, uh, Drove it very fast a couple of times. <laughs> was but this like a was this like a B eight or B seven? It was a B eight. It was a two thousand eight. Yeah. Okay. Um. So it was the first year of the B eight. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so. So I had that car. Put coilovers on it at the shop. Uh, I was talking to the shop owner, and now my car was probably the worst car in there by far. They did mostly F eight X BMW M cars and audi r8s and porsches bentley's your your high end yeah stuff. but like yeah. you know the mid high end sort of yeah, the hundred thousand yeah, dollar range yeah. we're not talking millions but a couple yeah. hundred k so he's modifying the shit out of all these all day long he had a wrap shop he had a body shop he had performance he had window tint he had ppf carbon was getting sold and installed on site wheels it was it was a big operation so the the one-stop shop you got restyling and actual uh motorsport stuff being done and collision repair and collision repair wow so <laughs> really a one-stop building. shop yeah completely wow so cool place i thought but because of my work schedule i was picking up my car every time i dropped it off there at the end 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 of the day like they really were probably closed and they were making a big deal about me coming at 630. Yeah, they're being nice to you. Yeah, but they're making a big deal of me coming at 630. And then one time I was like, no, it's actually gonna be more like 730. Is that OK? And they're like, well, yeah, fine. Come come at 730. And I'm there and it's just the owners and some random people. But the shop is still very much open. You know, they haven't put all the cars inside for the night. And the owner looks really stressed. And I didn't really even know he was the owner. He's a very quiet guy, sat in the background most of the time. I didn't even really know he was the owner, but he was telling me about his thousand horsepower F10 M5 that he was building. And Ooh. I was like, holy shit, that's a big deal. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and uh, then it kind of came out that he owned the place, but he was miserable. And you could see he's just, he's, I mean, this is mean, but he's overweight, really clearly wasn't taking very good care of himself and was just not sleeping, eating, binge eating, yelling at everyone. Not a happy yep. guy. Yeah, ba- probably buried in his four shops in one place, you know, dealing with the chaos that that probably brought him. So, exactly. He... he 
was in over his head from a business perspective and a team management perspective. Mm-hmm. Those were the things he was, he didn't have any clue what his finances looked like. He ran the business out of the bank account. He, he carried a duffel bag of cash with him pretty much everywhere he went. Ooh. Um, he, and it, it was, it was eating him up and he was up till three in the morning, waking up at, you know, eight, let's say dragging himself out of bed, getting to work late, his team doesn't know what to do that day. Cars are there that they have no story on. They don't know how to work on them. Yeah, they, they don't have like work orders that, you Correct. know, th- that are written up as a car comes in and where it needs to go. Yeah. And so this created infinite problems for the business. And so one of the problems that we started off with solving. So I'll, I'll back up. I was there as a customer. But through this. I realized that while I was extremely envious of this guy, he was so stressed out because of problems that I believed were completely solvable. What's this car doing here? A question from your employees. Shouldn't be a question. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> you should and, have that written down somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I can tell you from exact experience, um, it happens a lot in shops. Mm-hmm. I there I probably couldn't even tell you how many times I had to ask that question at the shop I worked at. Yeah. So it's very frustrating as an employee when you come and open the doors at the beginning of the day and there's a car sitting there that you have no idea what it is. Or why yeah, or one that gets dropped off the night before. Keys are in the drop box and nobody knows who the owner is. There's no contact information. There's nothing on the schedule. And then it just sits there all day and the customer shows up and goes, well, why did anything get done? And it's all because another employee didn't do their job. Mm-hmm. So we implemented a, a customer intake form and it had, here's how much you're paying. Here's what we're doing. Here's your expectations. Here's when you can pick it up. Do we have the locking wheel nut key? If you have bags, what setting should they be on all the time? Do you have ghost, which is not a thing in the US, but it really should be. So ghost is sick. And I tried to sell these in the US and got completely shut down by the manufacturer, but <laughs> all right. Um, ghost is a system that wires into your canvas and it creates a security key for your ignition. So when you go to push start or turn the key on your car to start it, the engine will not turn on unless a series of buttons between your steering wheel, the driver's door and the dash have been pressed in the correct pin code order. Oh yeah. So it was, we had like an RS three that was there for a while and the code on it was, you know, back passenger window up twice volume power button press and then cruise control reset press. I I think I've heard of something similar but I'm curious to know why they wouldn't sell that in the U.S. That sounds pretty There's awesome. an exclusive distributor that I did not know about. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> and I was trying to sell them on eBay. They only wanted people to sell them with installation because it's uh, a pretty complicated installation. I, you know what? I can I can understand that. Yeah. Oh, I think well. I think uh, I think CompuStar was that way for a while with remote starts. Mm. I mean, it's when you're dealing with wiring, especially regarding the ignition, you don't want to mess it up. Yeah, and I know CatSkin was that way for a very long time until they started uh, uh, going to direct-to-consumer. 
just because they didn't want their name on bad looking seats or I don't know if it was that, but I, I mean, to install leather, I mean, it's not like the easiest process ever. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I can understand wanting to send them to a dealer, but now, now they have this program where the customer buys it online and it suggests right. a shop. It's the coolest thing ever. It's a smart move. <laughs> Good. Um, but yeah, so that was what went in the customer intake form. Totally lost my train of thought there for a second. This was the customer intake form. It evolved a little bit over time, but it was it was in lieu of a shop management system. We get we did that to start with. I printed out fifty copies, brought it to him, and said, "Here you go. This is this is the start of your new life managing this business." And he liked it, and he used it, and it worked, and all the employees liked it, and it was mm-hmm. kind of a big deal that I did that. And so that started what became a nine month consulting relationship where they paid me uh, every month and I would work full time there from open to close and way past close, helping them with day to day operations, which was a mistake that I got into the day to day operations, but it was also implementing tons and tons of these sort of organizational improvement little projects along the way. And so unfortunately I should have been more assertive getting into their finances. I didn't in retrospect, I don't know what all is going on there that maybe I'm glad I didn't get into their finances. I may have been implicated further into something that I'm glad I wasn't. Um, But, you know, I hired a few employees. I fired a couple of employees. We had a ton of customer policies implemented. A daily schedule would go out. Um, what else did I do? We cleaned up the whole shop, rearranged stuff, did some renovations, different computer systems, second employee, new phone system, sorry, different second sales employee, tons and tons of changes. And the customers could see the difference. It yeah, went man. from a shop that did no marketing and still was bursting at the seams with jobs, but had no way of getting them out and was stressed out about money as a result to a shop that could do marketing and could get jobs out the door. And it was a huge improvement. And I hope so. You you took away his duffel bag full of cash to put improvements into that place. He still had the duffel bag. (laughs) Most of my improvements were free. Oh, nice. Or very cheap. Yeah. And I was very cheap. I did not charge (laughs) enough for that. We, yeah, I think we cut my rate by like 70% from my initial proposal. Something wow. Like that. But I just was like, yeah, fine. I'm like, get me in the door. I don't really care. I'm like, I'll yeah. just do the work. And it was still about what I was making from the job that I had left. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the end of that relationship was because I stopped getting paid on time. And I was not about that. So I, I decided it was time to go. I was starting my MBA program. I couldn't work full time anymore we moved to to just say, hey, I'll, I'll visit when I can. You know, it's been nice working with you, but I need to get paid on time for my my own security. And this is not something I'm, I can sustain as far as a time commitment. You know, I was there from 8 a.m. to 1 a.m. pretty much every day. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And then not getting paid on time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ouch. But I did it because I, I loved it also. You know, every yeah. day I'm getting mm-hmm. to move around twin turbo R8s and Lamborghinis and all sorts of M cars and getting rides in 800 horsepower M3s yep. all the time. Yeah. It was so cool. 
as a true car guy, how how could you hate it? I mean, it was no different than when I was at at my shop I was working at, you know, when Kyle Loftus from 1320 Video rolls in and needs a <laughs> new set of tires, but they don't trust anyone to drive a ZR1. They ask Dan to do it. I'm like, say less. <laughs> <laughs> Good start. Good start. Yeah. Absolutely. So, like, yeah, you get those experiences like that, even though the situation is often not the best um, with a shop that doesn't really have their crap together. Yeah, and that that is a pretty pervasive problem in the industry. So mm-hmm. a later, a much later topic in this podcast will be how we're solving that. For today, we're going to focus on the past. <laughs> so so that was how I started. And it, it was a completely unsustainable consulting business model. I could only have one client at a time. I could only implement one little change at a time. And it was totally on the basis of their schedule and when they decided that things wanted to get done. And, and for me as a control freak and somebody who likes implementing positive changes, to be in that position was quite frustrating. Nevertheless, I was living in a foreign country, didn't have any money to start my own shop, had no interest in starting my own shop because I had no technical skills at the time and no, no thought that I could do that. So instead, I went to the internet and started <laughs> marketing myself to every shop that I could find. And so between August and March. So August 2020 to March 2021, I spent most of my time on Instagram, Facebook, and Google Maps finding every single enthusiast-oriented shop on the West Coast that I could find, West Coast of the U.S., and DMing them on Instagram. While I was doing that, I was simultaneously walking into every enthusiast shop that I could find within you know a 20-mile radius in London from where I lived. Not tons, but a decent amount. And I was having conversations with owners about how I might be able to help their business. And I did the same thing on Instagram where I said, look, I got all these skills. How can we work together? What problems do you have? How can I solve problems for you? Now that's not a way to sell yourself, obviously. You know, I was, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just highly skilled. Yeah. You, you, you <laughs> 30,000 foot them. And when they're not even there. Yeah, they probably don't even know their own problems. Right, uh, exactly. Yeah, you would have been better off going in there and saying, hey, I can solve X, Y, and Z. Yep. And so for the next six months, that whole period, I was banging my head against the wall trying to figure out how to sell stuff. And I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and And so within that time, I rewrote my website probably six times. I... T- a, B tested, but I used the whole damn alphabet to try to figure out what sort of offers would stick, what sort of words would be the kind that would land with shop owners as something like, oh yeah, this guy can help me make my business better. The only thing that I was able to sell in that first six months was bookkeeping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... I'm a CPA and I'm a highly, highly technically skilled accounting consultant that can structure a very large mergers and acquisitions transaction for optimal tax and accounting treatment in a public company setting. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very different skill set from bookkeeping. Yeah, very, very, uh, very small compared to that. (laughs) Well, but it's not because despite how good QuickBooks is, 
you still need to learn a lot about how mm-hmm. to use QuickBooks in order yeah, to oh, really yeah. understand how to produce appropriate financials out of the system. So I had to teach myself QuickBooks. <laughs> and so I, ha- I had a few clients and had no idea what I was doing in QuickBooks, but successfully was able to sell cons- uh, bookkeeping work. And so I would walk up to shops and I say, I help shops with their finances. Do you need help? And it worked. And I did that, I don't know, four dozen times over the next two months. Yeah. Walking it, into shops. That, that's a common theme of what I've seen is that a lot of shops struggle with the bookkeeping side of it. Mostly, mostly because the, I, I don't know if, if it's the owner's personality, but I mean, at heart, they're just, car people that want to work on cars and you know fine finances really aren't like their number one priority correct they're their number one priority to the extent that they are making money correct yeah Mm. beyond that it's it's usually a black box right but so we're getting into the real meat of the podcast here we go so the first (laughs) reality of starting your business is that as you can hear in those first six months or really in the first two, three years, I changed my offering. I don't know how many times I rewrote my website. I changed my business cards. I changed my logo. I changed my business name. I changed so many things just to try to find out what would sell. And I really struggled with that. And I hated the fact that I had to keep changing it. And I always thought this is the time. This is what's going to work. Nothing ever worked. And the only thing that did work required no marketing, required no website. And I would just show up, hand them a business card and say, do you want help with your finances? Yeah. And that worked. And it took me two and a half years to figure it out. <laughs> well, that, that's <laughs> where you I- insert the friends clip of them moving the couch up the stairs and they're saying pivot, pivot. Yep. Yep. <laughs> meme, insert meme here. Yep. <laughs> But so that's the first reality is that it took me a very long time to land on an offering that would really create a value exchange where I get paid and I'm able to provide a scalable service. So that's reality number one. Now, I kind of want to take a little bit of a step back because as I just mentioned during that six month period, I was doing research on US based clients, but I was living in London and I was spending most of my time in the DMs waking up really early so I could DM shop owners on their Instagram pages before they went to bed. The time difference is eight hours. So I was waking up at like three in the morning. I would be able to talk to shop owners at 7 p.m. when they're you know just finishing up with their last car or whatever it is and they're finally actually looking at their phone. That's when I could really actually have a conversation with them. And I would set up these meetings and eventually I was moving back to the US. And so in early 2021, I actually just couch surfed for about five months and was staying with my friend, was staying in hotels, was staying with my parents and spending most of my time in my car, knocking on doors of shops, offering them help with their finances, but kind of still in the process of hammering out that specific offering. And so I was getting rejected a lot. And whether it was rejection on Instagram or rejection in person or having to, this was the biggest one, really. People would ask me 
you know, who else have you worked with? Or can you describe some of the benefit that you're intending to provide with this service? And, you know, I had one example and it wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so I was terrified. (laughs) And so I had one guy once ask me for trade references. And I said, yeah, I can get you those. I didn't have any. Yeah. I didn't have a single one in the US. This was in, you know, January, February, 2021. I had no references that he could respect. Yeah. And... And even if you had the cultural differences coming from the UK to the US had to be, I'm I'm just assuming it had to be different. It was different. Honestly, a shop owner is still a shop owner. Yeah. To the roots. Yeah. And, and there are definitely differences, but they're more minor than you might think. Okay. Yeah. Just in that industry. In my accounting job, the culture was extremely different. But at a shop owner level, especially, and, you know, not to get political, but uh, (laughs) this was all, as you can hear by the dates that I'm giving during the heat of COVID. We didn't give a fuck about COVID. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, no. I didn't even know it was a thing until I went back to the U.S. for the first time in October of 2022. Yeah, I mean, mean, shoot, we were, yeah, we were in... Vegas during the like middle of the pandemic together, you and I. That and was none in, of those. That was in the summer of twenty one. Yeah, and none of the shop owners there gave a rip either. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, the whole automotive industry really is just like, come on, we're yeah, we're mostly, on hazard, hazardous materials all day long. Come on, yeah. Now. It's like you're blue collar. Like we're not really going to give a shit about some little sickness that might might actually be harmful. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so that was that was nice. That was a great time to be out of the house and not in my 300 square foot London apartment, uh, talking to a bunch of people without masks on, just shaking hands. Like everything was normal. It was great. It was absolutely awesome. <laughs> I, I, I believe it. Yeah. I, I'm glad I had that opportunity as well to yeah. not have to deal with that. Yeah. But okay. So <laughs> for as great as it was, there was plenty of bad that came along with it. As I was trying to start the business, I was committing to do things that I had to learn along the way, learning QuickBooks, learning how to prepare financials for tax returns, getting rejected over and over and over and over again, and trying to figure out how to cold sell people on a walk-in. I wasn't good at that at all. And have, you've done some of that, haven't you? A little bit here and there. And it's not yeah. fun. It's, it's not fun it's, at all. It's really not fun. E- even even from a retail customer setting, uh, it, it's the same thing. Like they, they'll come in cold. They may not know exactly what they want. Right. It, it's it's hard to f- come up with a solution uh, for a customer when when they really don't know what their problem is. Like as they're coming in, I like that though. I'm good at that because I'm so enthusiastic about what I'm selling. Oh yeah, yeah. But, it, it, they they just they, they're so freezing cold. You you have to work mm, extra hard to warm them up. You know, to say, hey, yeah. this might be it for you, uh, versus the Amazon special. Right, right, right. And will you spend ten times as much? And you, right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it it sucks, and that never stops. So whether you're, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about what I'm doing currently, but you're doing. 
you know, nine figure mergers and acquisitions and you're, you're responsible for writing a very serious negotiation email, you're handling legal due diligence and having to do a bunch of contract review to ensure things are done properly. You're doing, you know, in-person meeting, sales meetings with clients who may want to hire you to sell their nine figure company. You know, that's a high stakes meeting and Mm -hmm. you got to kind of psych yourself up for it. And then that never really stops when you're doing business owner, business founder kind of activities. Cause you're should, you should always be at that highest level solving the biggest problems. And I don't care how much experience you have. I don't care how much confidence you get in yourself. There's always going to be, if you're growing and doing things properly, there's always going to be scary and challenging things that you're working on. So that's sort of point number two is that that, that fear and that thinking that you're out of your depth in the skill set, so your imposter syndrome, that never changes. At least, you know, I've only been in business for five years. That that never changes. <laughs> yeah, in and, and, and the thing is, you know, getting rejected and ha- and having those feelings, like, like all, what you have to do with that is to learn from it and to have that answer for the next time so you, you don't get rejected or you get rejected a little bit more softly. <laughs> Or you learn how to turn that rejection around. That too. Yeah. And then you can go back in, you know, 30 days or however long. 30 minutes. Out there. 30 <laughs> minutes. And be like, hey, by the way. I had an idea and this is going to convince you. And it yep. usually doesn't. <laughs> no, but, I, you know, I dealt with people on a few occasions where I had the longest sales cycle. There was like a 12 month sales cycle for one client that I worked with. Actually, longer than that. It was October 2020 that I met with them for the first time. And they hired me in March of 2022. Dang. But I went in there once every two, three months for that whole time period and watched them evolve in their own business and watch some things work and some things not work. And I just kept sharing value and learned what my offer was along the way. And we have a pretty good working relationship now. And, you know, it's been over a year that we've been working together. Yeah, it's it's like what I tell my sales guys is be consistent, one. And, and, and this is for customers that are not buying from us. Mm-hmm. Be consistent. Continue to go even though you know that they probably aren't going to buy. Because maybe on that 100th attempt, they might buy something. You never know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, keep keep the education going with your customer uh, or potential customer because y- you'll you'll never get that client if you don't keep trying. Right, right. It's the the Wayne Gretzky, you miss one hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Reality number three. When I was doing a lot of these walk ins, there was rejection. Yes, there was rejection, but I was also working with coaches. I was telling my friends and family about the business and I was talking to a bunch of shop owners and other sort of ancillary automotive aftermarket companies that I might work with. And at no point did anyone tell me, this is a dumb idea. You shouldn't do this. At no point, at no point did I actually get very much negative feedback at all. I just got told no no, I don't want this was a very common one. And it was often people who just didn't want 
somebody walking in trying to sell them something. They would just reject mm-hmm. you on the spot. But the people who would talk to you, they're going to say, yeah, yeah, you know, that actually does sound good, but I just don't know about it. I don't think it's for me. I don't think it's right now. I don't know if I have the budget for it. And they didn't even know what my prices were. But Right. It was so much of that kind of rejection. Um, but it was so much positive feedback from everyone. This sounds really good. Your website looks great. These are really nice looking business cards. Oh, cool. You got shirts with your name on them your company name on them. And that's a cool branding technique. You know, I recognize that logo. So many really positive points of feedback like that, but they were not converting into dollars. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's fortunate that you got those reviews, but if they weren't yielding anything, it's just kind of a feel good thing. Which honestly was made it not good. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not converting makes it not good. It's like, it's, it's that, it's that good, it's that feel good moment, like initially, but it's a harder letdown when they don't convert. And you know, you know why it's a harder letdown is because I went in there with a sense of entitlement. Cause I said, you know, oh, you know, my mom thinks I'm cool. So let me go, <laughs> let yeah. me go sell this. Uh-huh. And you're expecting that, uh, that instant gratification. I thought I was so good from those conversations. And then I would go to where the rubber meets the road and try to sell myself to a shop owner Mm -hmm. for what ended up being called finance operations and strategy expertise. And they were not interested and there was no money in it for me. And I would have these, you know, 12 month sales cycle plus for $300 a month sometimes. Yep. Ultimately I went through a couple dozen clients um, before my company was absorbed into the larger M&A firm that I work at now. But that was a very deceiving experience to go through where you're getting all this positive feedback, but no dollars. Yep. And so here's the perspective and the reality that I want to give you here. That time in a business, the first infancy year, two years of a business or you're trying to figure it out. People are not, generally speaking, going to deliver critical feedback to you because they just want to see you succeed. They have good intentions for you. And it's not wrong that they have these good intentions for you. They just want you to succeed and they're going to tell you that it sounds good and you should you should chase your dreams. There might be people who say, this is stupid. You're not making any money. You shouldn't do this. But in general, especially as you share it with more and more kind of people further away from you and their business acquaintances or whatever it is, kind of occasional friends, they're just going to say, oh, that sounds like a really good idea. But they're not going to buy from you. And the people who are going to buy from you are also going to reject you nicely because generally speaking, that's how business, small business especially goes is that you you either just don't get an email response and then you don't know you walk in and they say, Oh, it's not in my budget, even though you haven't told them a price. So you don't know. And I just didn't adapt very fast because of this, that I thought that I just need to find the right people that get me and I need to figure out how to make them get me. I need to find those trade references. I need to build the, 
confidence as I'm walking in there. My chest needs to be further out. My chin needs to be higher up. I need to be wearing a different <laughs> shirt or different shoes. I need to be less sweaty. I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> I needed to do something different. It's all, it's all some sort of trick to get people to actually buy. It does not have to do with my value. Turns out it has to do with your value. <laughs> but it took me a long time to figure out what I could really get my foot in the door with. And so what started as I can help you with your finances turned into much, much bigger projects where I was doing all kinds of operational improvement, HR, hiring, really challenging management situations. And it was awesome to have that experience. But the reality of it was, is that it took me way longer than it should have to adapt because I listened to positive feedback from people who weren't paying me. The only positive feedback that matters in business is the money. <laughs> doesn't matter how good people think you are. It, it, yeah, as unfortunate it is that, you know, that sounds super greedy, but it's not like it, it's you'll never know what your company is capable of until like though that feedback comes with dollars. Right. Until people start paying you for something and then continuing to pay you for that thing or, you know, giving you the positive feedback after they've paid you. That's when it matters. That's when that's the only time it matters. Cause other times people are giving you feedback with no stake in the game. Right. So what that's worthless. And that was something I, uh, I, I was, in a legal situation and trying to enforce a contract I had written myself. And I was talking to a mentor of mine and, and, uh, and we were talking about this contract and how to enforce it. And he said, how much did you pay to get it written? I said, well, <laughs> it was free. I wrote it myself. And he said, that's how much it's worth. Yep. <laughs> you got yourself like, oh, on that shit. one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, but you got yourself. <laughs> but that was, I mean, that was that was a good example of it being reflected right back at me that, you know, the value really comes with the dollars, no matter how nice somebody's feedback might have been for you. Um, okay, so those are the three realities of starting a business that I wanted to share today. I hope you got a bit better of an understanding of what Driven Performance Advisors did up until early 2022. Early 2022, I went from helping shops with their finances and getting into operations and, and strategy and growth for shops. Um, I, I had my consulting firm absorbed by a larger mergers and acquisitions firm. So I'm a partner at a, a mergers and acquisitions firm. We help buy and sell automotive aftermarket companies. I still have some of my own clients, so I'm still doing some strategic and financial consulting work on the side. But I do know that my, my skill sets are valued in these type of transactional situations where I'm able to do the sort of special project execution that people really need help with. It takes a lot of man hours to get these kind of jobs done. And I have the skill set to make it work. And so between that opportunity to, to have my practice sort of brought into this one and I have my own special niche, I still am a business owner. I still work for myself and and set my own hours and have all that sort of freedom of a business owner. It's part of a bigger framework where I'm executing deals that really fit the skill set that's needed. And I'm able to be compensated for that value really, really well now. So <laughs> um, <laughs> that's 
how that how that's going. Um, and I I don't want any of of what I just said to be discouraging. I just want to be very transparent to the extent I can in the midst of the process because what that looks like for you is that you have awareness that somebody who's further along the path than you has experienced the same thing. And if I was listening to this four years ago, it probably would have changed my perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that it's able to do that for somebody out there listening. And if it does, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So Dan, anything else on on the realities of starting a business? No, but I I have one question though. Okay. Is that shop in London still around? They moved from an 8,000 square foot location into an 18,000 square foot location. Wow. They were in that location for a year. Then they moved to a 26,000 square foot location. Holy cow. So they're I still helped, I helped butt. them build their e-commerce website. So they sell parts parts online now. Um, they still have all the same operations that they did before. They compete in standing mile competitions. They, they have some of the most powerful cars in Europe being built there. So Wow. That's and awesome. I still talk to the owner pretty regularly. He he sends me on missions at SEMA when he's not there. <laughs> so that's always fun. Well, that, that's good to hear that, you know, they're still making it work. It, it, clearly, they're killing it. Yeah. To think, some degree, yeah. You know, I hope, I hope some of what I did stuck. Yeah, that's and, all you can really hope for. Yeah, for and, sure. and that they're, they're running a, a strong business operation out there that isn't stressing the guy out any more than he already was. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be else? interested to watch a, a standing mile event in Europe. Oh, I'm curious to know the difference in cars. Well, have I sent you the video? I don't think so, no. Okay. There, there's a video of me in the passenger seat of an F90 M5 drag racing another F90 M5. And ours was faster. First of oh. all, crucially, ours was faster. <laughs> the um, The transmission tune that we put on deleted two of the limiters. But it turns okay. out there's a third limiter in the transmission on an F90 M5 at 100 and indicated 193 miles an hour. Um, Dang. We trapped 196. Wow. Almost two. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's awesome. That's the fastest I've ever been. Sadly, I wasn't driving, but yeah, it was I- that was a hell of a. Hell yeah, that, that's wicked. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think mine's like around 170 ish of me not driving. Oh, I've done that driving. Yeah, uh, I <laughs> closest to that with driving was a uh, 161, mm. and uh, that's because I couldn't go any faster. <laughs> <laughs> Limiters uh, are fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, 373 gears on a, a set of uh, uh, 17 or 28 by 17 inch tires on the back of an S550 Mustang. Six gear is overdrive, and it doesn't go anywhere after 160 miles an huh. hour. But wait, yeah. so was it a rev limiter issue or was it a... No, it was just out of gear. Just couldn't, couldn't, didn't, I didn't have the power to overcome. I see. Okay. Yeah. I see. Um, yeah, for me, it was the, both my E90 M3 and my F82 M4, I've taken to 170. Yeah, I still have yet to find out what the S4 does. The thing with 170... it's a funny way to start a sentence so the the m3 has 400 horsepower 400 pound feet of torque Mm -hmm. got there fairly easily the m4 has 450 torque 500 horsepower 
and it took longer to get there. Okay. So it's a heavier car. But also, I think it had something to do with just the power output and the way the where I was in the power band yeah. at that speed in top gear was was it was very slow from 160 to 170. Yeah, like fit because fifth gear in a Mustang is one to one, so it mm. it takes a while to get there. Then like you go into sixth gear, and like it dropped me down to like 3,000 RPM and wouldn't climb because mm-hmm. there's like there's no power that low in that car. Yeah. Huh. That sucks. <laughs> I know. I know. I this really badass NA Mustang. Couldn't go uh, any faster. <laughs> okay. Well, so how about we talk about uh our sponsors for this and then we'll get out of here. Yeah, we are sponsored by We Are Driven uh and their network. Uh you know, they they help out, you know, like-minded individuals like Arun and I uh with their goals and in fitness, business, and uh, their passion is now what we're calling it instead of just cars. So if, if you're not really a huge car nut, you can still still join us and attend our our calls on every Wednesday if you so choose. Um, you know, we also have a Discord link that you can listen or you, not listen. You can read Arun's lovely 4 a.m. daily motivational messages. Uh, there, he's usually posting by the time I'm really getting up and getting out the door, which is pretty cool so i get to read them in real time as he's waking up <laughs> uh they also have some really awesome apparel i have three of their shirts one of which i've lost and i'm disappointed about it uh they also have some hats and and other whatnot so uh and i'm also trying to get them to make some sweatshirts for next winter <laughs> please arun right 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 <laughs> well i'm wearing i know you're wearing the, one <laughs> the, the, this isn't made for the winter at all. This is a very paper thin, <laughs> low quality thing that I just stuck a We Are Driven logo on. So I don't recommend this one. I have, <laughs> I have yet to find high quality hoodies that I want the We Are Driven brand on that mm-hmm. aren't $100 a blank. <laughs> and that print full will do because I don't want to do a high, high volume print right now because apparel is a very low consideration for our current strategy. So yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean the at least get in the discord people <laughs> That's yeah please saying. please like, yeah please read the the messages there are, they, there they are, are great there are 40 people who read that thing every day and it's really cool to know that 40 people are in there and are getting that fire first thing in the morning because you know for me to write it is really empowering for you to read it should do the same damn thing it is a big deal to me to have that kind of mindset. And I, I just want to give it away. I want everybody to be able to feel that. It's so cool. The Driven Network, if you want to get more involved, that's going to change your freaking life. The, the Discord messages are a starting point for you to get more into the Driven Mindset. The Driven Network is where the Driven Mindset really hits the ground in you. I think that yeah. makes sense. It, it's where it's where so you get guided coaching. You, we have weekly calls, group accountability through those weekly calls. There's a Discord private section where you can ask advice of anybody else in the network at any time. You've got people there who are entrepreneurs. You've got people in there who work for big companies. You've got people in there who are super jacked. You've got people in there who are really into their different passions and want to share how they make time for them with you. That'd be me. That'd be Dan. (laughs) And 
And so it, like that, that is, is a very small investment that can change your life in a very big way. So I definitely recommend considering that. If you want to find us on social media, I'm Arun D. Kumar on Instagram and TikTok. WeAreDriven.co is our website. I'm trying to buy WeAreDriven.com because WeAreDriven.co can only take us so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's similar to a problem I have with our econ website, so I understand. <laughs> um, and that's our Instagram handle for WeAreDriven as well. Dan, where are you? I am on Instagram as Dan underscore LaRue. Uh, on Facebook as Dan LaRue. LinkedIn is the same. I have a TikTok. I'm DLaRue95, but I don't really use it. I pretty much stalk Arun's motivational videos on there, and that's about it. Don't take it. I'm a, <laughs> <laughs> that's a win in my book, I think. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, thanks for watching. We are happy you're here. If you liked the podcast please share it leave us a review tell your friends tell your gym buddy tell your car club tell your work team whatever work you're doing when and when you start a business you know who you can talk to about the struggles that you're going through because i went through them i didn't really have many people to talk to and this is a, a podcast capturing some of those struggles so that others realize they're not alone in the process so with that this has been arun and dan thanks for listening have a great rest of your day stay driven